Hello and welcome to another episode of How Not, hosted by me, Luca Manning. And me, Kim McCoy. I'm going to go straight in, Kim, and say that today is a very, 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 very good day. Do you want to know why? Why? Because Lady Gaga's remix album of Chromatica, called Dawn of Chromatica, is out. And I was listening to it on my way here. Right. And I was living. Absolutely living. It's fucking banging, I believe is the critical term. Yeah. And I just wanted to share that with you. Brilliant. That's yeah. your best thing that's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a few other things. Shout out, I, as I told you, I went to see Travis Alabanza's play Overflow mm-hmm. in the Bush Theatre, starring Reese Lyons, who's an absolute star. Mm. And I would encourage everyone to go and see that before the run ends. I can't remember when the run ends, but you should really go if you haven't seen it. Um, it's a beautiful piece of theatre and just go see it, basically. Yeah. And then last night, I went to see Lauren Villa. Sent from heaven. Sent from I mean, an iconic performance. Very emotional. Mm-hmm. Uh, she shouted out her mum a lot, which was really nice, who was in the audience. Um, saw Alan Carter on the way out. I'm getting I a said. sweat on. Getting a sweat on. Um, yeah, Alan saw you looked a bit sweaty and a bit mangled, but like that's important. We yeah, were all sweaty and mangled. Right. We danced our arse off yeah. um, to that kind of 80s sonic soundscape of goodness. Um, and yeah, it was really funny. Someone I was with turned around and was like, I didn't realise Laura was such a gay icon. I was like, what do you mean? Hello? Like, that album is so queer. It's fucking pink noise. Are you joking? That guitar is a thing yeah. to behold as well. Yeah, the, the pink guitar was a moment. And full on glitter, shabam. It was amazing. It was amazing. Um, you've been eating al dente potatoes. In, Crunchy tatties. In cold places. Yeah, went to Iceland. <laughs> went to the Blue Lagoon. That was good. Floor was gritty. Um, uh, but yeah, apparently in Iceland, al dente is the style for, for a potato, which I'm not a massive fan of. Because um, I love a tatty. And it- Do you know when potatoes are like raw, though, they and or like a bit hard, they, they kind of go like grainy? They do. So grainy and grainy. Yeah. So the potatoes were not just al dente, they were grainy like the bottom of the Blue Lagoon. It was as if they'd... Only being cooked by putting them in the blue lagoon for right. a short period of right. time, which yeah. is not enough. A bob in the blue. Um, so that was good. What else has been happening? A lot. I think I've got a lot to get off my chest. Today I discovered the um, way to pronounce the... So there's an actor, her first name's Florence, and their second name is spelled P-U-G-H. Pew. Now, I was, I was thinking, what is it? Poo? Pug? Pugue? <laughs> What is it? Like Pugger. like loch? Is it puch? <laughs> puch? Ah! Um, so I had to, had to um, investigate that. So I'm glad that I know that, but I like puke the best, so I might call it that now. Wait, but hold on. Is it pew? Pew, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually know a flow pew. Pardon? I know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know... Uh, the of, si- of one Florence pew. But not the main not one. The, not, well, the main one in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's rude of me. Yeah, not the actor, I don't think. All right, never come across that sort of name, ever. So that's a new thing. I also discovered that Siamese cats are basically like heat maps because the reason they've got those markings is because um, they have a little genetic mutation that kicks in at a certain temperature, so only their extremities are dark coloured, and the rest of it is no, there's no colour in it because that's where the warmth is in their body. Wow! So that's good. Then I've been thinking where, about where do you find these things? <laughs> I don't know, but that TikTok. Was probably is this what I'm missing on TikTok? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it probably was. Um, also, my friend told me that you know cattle grids. Do you know what cattle grid is? Remind me. <laughs> So it's like, uh, um, it looks like a gate um, or a fence which is laying across the uh, ground with little gaps in it and it stops cows and sheep being able to walk out of a field because they can't put their feet, their feet are going to fall through the holes. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't go through it. Right, They're okay. like, I'm just keep away from yeah. But there's a sheep that was really keen to get out, so figured out for itself that if you took an absolute run at it and then just punted yourself, so rolled across it, oh, you could get smashing. out. Smashing. So 
Moan the great. sheep. That's great because I find sheep quite annoying. That <laughs> they're not super smart, and that I thought, well done you. Well done, yeah. Problem solving. That could be a a kind of motto for anything in life that's hard to run fast get over. enough. Punt yourself at it. Roll over. Roll, roll over it. You'd be great. There you go. And then Texas is getting on my tits. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Tell us what's going on there. So they've decided to repeal Rule versus Wade, which was what made um, it legal for women to access abortions. They've decided they don't want that anymore. So now it's not legal to get an abortion after six and a half weeks. There is no exemption for rape, incest, any of that. Um, no, thank you, Texas. No. I mean, we don't even need to... I mean, pff, yeah. The thing but. is that in every single case, there's also a man involved mm. when a woman gets pregnant. So unless we're introducing some kind of joint prosecution then it is just a war on women's bodies as yeah. far as I can tell yeah um I think the it's already kind of kicking into gear that they're gonna the and they're not even progressives just the normal sensible people in the states are already kind of moving to try and get that sort of at a nationwide federal level overturned because we can't be fucking about with this you can't be doing this. This outlawing something doesn't stop it happening. It just stops it happening safely. Exactly. That's that's a really good point. You know, like it, it just means if you don't give access to abortion services, it means that people are putting themselves in severe, you know, gonna, risky situations. People are going to. It's not going to stop happening. People, no. are, you know, like it's about autonomy over your body. Your fucking right to make decisions about your body and your life. It's not saying pro this or against this. It's just genuinely like people have the right to have autonomy over their own body. And I feel like one thing that needs to be sort of researched really quite quickly, and I, I can't do it, but I know the starting point is seahorses because the, right. the men carry the babies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For every man who is involved either at a kind of protest level or a legislative level in abortion, kind of anti-abortion rhetoric, they should have a baby transferred into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you have the baby then. Go on then. Now, I actually think that that invention wouldn't even have to actually be invented. You just have to be convincing enough that people thought it existed. And suddenly you'd get a lot of people piping down about that shit. Because this, are these people also the people that are opening their doors to refugees? No. I don't think so. Or adopting or fostering children? I don't think But so. they are the people that probably are benefiting from massive amounts of money from right-wing lobbying groups right. who are changing the law. Yeah. So, Texas, like, get a fucking grip of yourselves. Yeah. Stop. Just stop it. Stop. It's 2021. Just leave it. Come on. Um, so hopefully Nancy Pelosi and the rest of them will sort that out. Yeah, big um, up. Because that's a f- absolute fucking shitstorm. Um, also, just one last small thing. Afghanistan? Yeah, it's, it's getting pretty... So we we haven't really acknowledged this yet, I suppose, because it's been super messy and very difficult. And me and Kim both, after recording the episode a few weeks ago kind of said we both don't even know where to begin and we have the privilege of being able to switch off and not think about it yeah but it's everywhere and i mean maybe we did mention it on the ian episodes which will be out by the time you listen to this i think we we definitely definitely touched it it's hard to know um what we actually recorded with ian because we were there for so long it was gorgeous we were there all night and we recorded a couple of hours of it but we spoke about so many other things um as well that that didn't make it on the mic um, because we don't want to be sued. Um, but yeah, I think the Afghanistan thing is really like what is going to be like a a defining moment in history. Like people are going to look back and judge. Yeah, like a lot of, of things. Us. I think what sort of worries me is this 
narrative that the war in Afghanistan's ended, that's what that's how the American media is portraying it. Like, no, you've pulled out of that. Yeah. Nothing's ended. No. This is like classic Western, like modern day colonialism yeah, yeah, where yeah. you wade in absolutely shit Fuck all over it. Up. it yeah, and then, and then leave. Get generate as much profit as you possibly can from it over a period of time. And then when it starts getting a bit hairy, mm. off you go. And you say, well, you've got to stand on your own two feet. We've totally. helped you enough. Cheerio. And it's just incredibly depressing. You leave these ruined nations. Yeah. And then, so that's it. The war on the war in Afghanistan's ended. No, it, no, it hasn't. It, it really hasn't. There's a, a lot of people that are in an incredible amount of danger now. Um, and... I don't know, I, I find it difficult to imagine what kind of inner monologue you have to be able to justify that being a kind of defensible reason to to walk away from that. Yeah. When you, you know, you've got a lot of work that they have, you know, the, the kind of this discussion around trying to empower women and trying to kind of encourage kind of liberty and freedom, then all of that is... The Taliban's been very clear about what they do and don't think is appropriate mm-hmm. in society. And they don't think a lot of stuff's appropriate in society, to be perfectly honest. But there's organisations that America helped set up there to educate young women mm-hmm. or whatever it may be that are now in incredible amounts of danger. Mm-hmm. We were backed. Back, back, back. It just feels like ev- everything's falling back. In regression, yeah. Um, it's really sad. It's re- it and is as you sad. say, it's the human aspect of it is that so many people, their lives have been upturned, displaced, they're in danger. The You know, their lives will never be the same. And all for what? Because of where they were born? Yeah. They didn't, want this it's horrible it's really frightening and what's even more frightening is that that'll be in the news for another week another Mm. two weeks maybe and then we'll move on we'll forget that'll be the end of it we won't think about it as like it'll become a distant reference of like oh do you remember a few weeks ago when blah 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 and it'll remain a reality for those people that will be in fucking refugee camps in the desert. Yeah, well, the UK government boasts about taking in five refugees. Yeah, over the next five years. Yeah, great. Well done, everyone. So, yeah. So, yeah. A lot of fuckery's happened. Yeah. Anyway, someone but, that beautifully articulates fuckery yeah. is someone who we're going to mention a lot today. Yeah. And that is the the brilliant... The brilliant K Tempest, mm-hmm. and this came about because you'd read this book and I'd read this book. Yep. I read it like I literally finished it this week, and it had such a profound impact on me, and resonated in my bones. Um, but we'll maybe talk about the book in a minute. But I just want to know like what your first experience of K Tempest was and what that was like. So first, I'll just cough. Coronavirus. No, <laughs> do you know I've seen an amazing thing that I showed Kim and it was like Jodie Harsh did it on Insta and it was like, um, oh, just did a lateral flow test and just wondering if anyone else can never get all the bits back in that fucking blue and white box. <laughs> it's like, yes, literally. Um, yeah, I'm actually couldn't be more sure that I don't have coronavirus. Yeah, I've after traveling to Iceland and back, yeah. I've been thoroughly tested. Um, K Tempest. Yeah. Um, so red. Her first, the first novel that came out, what's it called? It's they, the kid uses they, them pronouns. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, I apologise for that. Um, well, let me just look up what the first novel was called, um, which is beautiful, really, really beautiful. Oh, The Bricks That Built the Houses. The Bricks That Built yeah, the that Houses. Yeah, that was my introduction as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously aware, aware of them in the kind of public domain, kind of seen... I suppose seen a couple of bits of footage of them reciting poetry. Right. Hadn't seen hadn't seen them live. Um, kind of broadly aware of a little bit of their sort of background and I suppose that then reading the novel 
kind of extends on that sort of it feels a bit autobiographical doesn't it it does um and i guess and 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 then on connection the book that we'll talk about um i guess they do kind of talk about that and kind of using characters to kind of explore truths right or within yourself whatever um so you know kind of stuff about that book kind of touches on kind of stuff to do with class like working class kind of um stuff to do with a lot of uh, like identity and kind of sense of belonging that sort of thing found it quite a uh quite a raw book so to read. raw um which when did you read it actually not that long because i can't remember when it came out but it was quite a while ago that mm. the first one came out didn't it? um and i it, it was a took a while to get to that point um but yeah found it to be very like visceral and raw so i had to i started reading it and then i thought oh i see this is not for a day where you feel a little bit fragile no um kind of reminded me kind of sits in the same kind of world as zadie smith does Mm. for me um of like really insightful kind of brutally honest and kind of self-aware reflections on what it is to be human what it is to be human and what it is to be english and what it means to be kind of i guess oscillating between working and middle class right yeah identity yeah um so yeah always knew k tempest was a treasure but this on connection confirmed that yeah big time they are i had the same way in actually i read because i read the bricks that built the houses in the first lockdown in march and like i was up in glasgow in lockdown and that book was everything i needed i just immersed myself in it and it was actually the book that got me back into reading right i've consistently read since reading that novel and it was like you know, everything that I was missing mm. it was like messy encounters, like love and loss and seedy London subculture mm-hmm. and drugs and fucking heartache. And it was just really what I needed in that moment. Yeah. And I was hooked. And then the the other thing I want to mention is, before we get onto this book, is like, I listened to, well, apart from also seeing Paradise recently, have you seen it yet? No, um, Thursday. Right, amazing, because we can talk about that once you've seen it. But I went to see K. Tempest has currently got an adaptation of a Greek tragedy, and it's called Paradise. It's on at the National Theatre, and that's amazing in its own right. We'll probably talk about that in a few weeks. Um, But on the way, I decided to listen to the record, The Books of Traps and Lessons, Mm -hmm. which absolutely knocked me for six. And there's this one track called Hold Your Own, Mm -hmm. And it's now become, like, if I'm ever feeling a bit fragile, like, that is what I listen to. And and still, like, there's actually a quote on this book that says, like, someone's quoted, like, is describing his case words as, like, sticking in your throat. Mm. And it's so true. Like, and when Hold Your Own, like, when when they start, like, and the words come out, like, I'm, I'm like, choking up. Like, it's, like, every time it's just... It just feels like someone's speaking directly to you in that moment. And it's so universal what they're talking about, but it's also so unique to your situation. It's, mm. it's really amazing to have that quality in writing. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's what this new novel really explores. It was written in lockdown and it's all kind of... I mean, what would you say? It's like, I think their use of language anyway is like very visceral, as you say, really sensory. It's like all-consuming. Like it packs a punch, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, and also the use of, very quickly, the use of production on their records is amazing. They've got a couple of records that Let Them Eat Chaos is the most recent one and then The Books of Traps and Lessons is the first one. And this guy, Dan Carey, does a lot of the production and instruments on it. And it's really interesting, this marrying of like, like spoken word and I guess also like hip hop and rap and meets electronic kind of soundscape and and almost like james blakey synthy moments mm. and it's just really interesting to like 
see someone that's so multifaceted in what they do yep. like just do it to such a beautifully like great like you know the practice is amazing but also just the emotion of it all yeah absolutely. it just hits yeah um anyway let's talk about this book on connection well the good thing is it's a little tiny book so everyone can just carry it around in yeah. their little pocket it's it one of those books that i think should be just in everyone's house yes just have it there every hotel room everyone's mm. living room just have this it there. is it if i could recommend one book to everyone i know right now yeah no matter who they were what they were going through this is it yeah this exactly. is the book um i think it's i i would defy anyone to go through it it's like a, a very short kind of hundred hundred pages or something to go through it and not find something that really really Hits resonates you, you know yeah. and like i think it's the sort of book where you would come back to it in different mindsets and different circumstances and different passages will speak to you yeah um i was actually talking to jamie sophia mm. who l- lent me the book and recommended it to me and he said after i'd said oh my god you know i'm like one chapter in and i'm just like blown away and he was like, yeah, I think I'm going to read it every year. Yeah. And it Should is that a, kind of book. Because yeah, your perspective on what you take from it will change every time you read it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think the tone is really beautiful because it's... Kay is searching. Mm. and doesn't kind of... doesn't. It's not a lecture. doesn't say, here's... I figured it all out and here it is. But is there's something about that kind of honesty and vulnerability in the way that they write that is really empowering as a reader, you know, kind of makes you, it's very inspiring, I think, when someone's able to do that. Mm. So kind of invites you to, you know, just to be, I think invites you to be more thoughtful, invites you to be more um, honest with yourself, Um which I don't think, yeah, I, I think that those things are going to be things we need constant reminders of. So it's it really does, there's a couple of, ref, I mean, there there will be certain p- parts of the book that, that, that link it to a time period, the fact it was written in lockdown, for example. Yeah. The fact that there's references to social media. But on the whole, I do think it is like a timeless text oh, in terms totally. of... totally. The, totally, yeah. the things that are being discussed because i mean the main principle is that beneath the surface we're all connected right yeah. that's the kind of overarching and then and that creativity is a vehicle for deeper connection yeah and and that being connected and being creative are kind of two separate things but when they come together that's the kind of the magic um but i think what's amazing is right at the top of the book kicking and describes yeah okay so i'm coming at this from an art an art perspective but that creativity could be anywhere in your life it doesn't have to be accessed through the arts yeah and i think therefore it becomes a universal accessible thing for Definitely. anyone to pick up yeah because i think and yeah so the, i guess the two themes of the work are creativity and connection yeah and in a sense it's it's the exploration of the fact that what we mean by those two things can, has has some has drifted quite far from maybe mm. what they should mean or what they used to mean or whatever so i guess the connection point of it being the fact that there in so many ways we are connected to other people in a way that we've never been before in terms yeah. of the access to people to contact people uh but that perhaps masks what is quite a lack of connection yeah um because the way that that plays out curates a very specific style of the way that you connect with people totally and i think like that just on that point i mean the book made me instantly think about my connection to myself mm. before my connection to anyone else and like it, i mean Kay literally it felt like they were there sitting where you are now and going but how well do you really know yourself mm-hmm. that was the first thing and it really made me think you know how do you alter yourself in order to present what you hope or what you think you ought to be to the world 
and like it's been resonating with me with a lot with me a lot anyway over the past year or so like I kind of talk about this a lot but like I feel like my relationship with myself changes all the time and like I've embraced parts of myself and unpicked parts of myself and and just how I operate and everything like has been changing a lot and at quite a fast pace so to read this now felt like quite wow okay shit yeah someone's really asking you know questioning me here mm. and 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 I'm ready for it because I've been thinking about it but also like wow now I get to really think about it and other people think about these things wow and like there was a quote from one of the early chapters that says the problem with reflection is that before looking in the mirror we compose ourselves mm. so what we see is what we hope to see yeah and it's so true like are we ever ourselves totally yeah and what does that actually mean and what does that mean yeah and how does it make us feel yeah are we scared of it do we are we okay with it yeah and i think well and i mean talking about the fact that different passages connect at different times i think when they talk about the voice that made me think of you in terms of (gasps) yeah discussions we've had before yeah it was really crazy actually this comes a bit like later in the the book but you know, like, Kay is someone that was quite, like, you know, rushing from, like, gig to gig and, and like, you know, going, like, taking up the space in the room and lots of drink and drugs and partying and fueled by the adoration from audiences and, and like, just, you know, had to shout to be heard and it was all about, you know, like, progressing and their career and and what they thought you know they thought they were connected in that moment to to what they were making as an artist and living the life and I can definitely resonate with that as someone that's you know I was like 100 days sober like last week or whatever and like I used to have this very gregarious nature to what I did and took up a lot of space in the room Mm. and now I would say I have a quieter confidence Mm. a more assured confidence so I'm actually more confident but I'm quieter and my confidence Mm -hmm. despite still being a fucking loud mouth um and what happened to them was they developed nodules on their vocal cords and had to take a huge step back and rest and re-examine and this happened to me but on a much smaller scale when in back in january i ran into some vocal health problems and luckily i didn't have nodules but i also had to take a lot of time back and it absolutely changed it was like the beginning of the change in my life where mm. what well, was it was during a lot of changes but beginning of a big change where i thought who am i without my voice right what do i bring to the world what do i say how do i say it how do i continue to be myself or or find who i am if i don't have my voice which has been the sole thing that's defined who i am for so long and defined my worth every day from the moment i wake up and this is what they were saying too like there's a couple of quotes that I wrote down about this bit because it just resonated with me so much. Um, so at the start, they say, we, we turn on the phone in the morning and that's it, we're on stage. I was living in the kill or be killed narrative, not examining my desires, but allowing myself to be led by them. And then specifically about the voice, it's really interesting. Like My voice was not only my livelihood, it was also how I asserted myself in a room, my past. My one thing about me, as I saw it at the time, that made it okay for me to exist in public, considering all the things that I was, dyke, fat, bloke, unfemale, unmale, anxious, full of dysmorphic shame and discomfort, painfully shy and simultaneously overbearing in social situations or around people I didn't know. My voice was my ticket to my existence. So it just really made me think about all the things that I went through. It was like, you were shouting to be heard all the time and like just doing everything and partying hard and then you're never off stage actually yeah you never you're not and you there's not a a depth to of connection to what you're doing Mm -hmm. because you're never allowing yourself those moments i was speaking with you about this as well like after doing a big gig like i was so used to rushing out and getting really fucked Mm. because you've all this adrenaline you don't know what to do with yourself yeah yeah and you were saying, well, what happens if you just sit with what you've done and go, that was really good. I'm really happy with that. And I'd never experienced that before until recently. And it allowed me to process everything I was doing and be totally present for everything I was doing. Mm-hmm. And that was quite scary. Absolutely, and that's why yeah. we run away from it. Yeah, for sure. But it just goes to show you will run into damage at some point. 
if you're never off stage. Definitely. If you don't take those moments to sit with what you've done and allow yourself to to quietly kind of process. Yeah, because uh, I think, and it, I don't think it's exclusive to people who actually have some element of performance to their work no. in terms of the arts, but... Um, there, you know, I th- that that was a big thing for me a few years ago, trying to work out like w- what is what is performative about you know what about the person that I am or the things I choose to do or say or be or whatever. How much of that is what I think people want or expect, or how much of it is what I want? Yeah. Trying to really, really, because that's that's a big ask. It's a big question, and that that's like. Well, that's centuries of It'll kind of socialized stuff. Daily as but, well, yeah. um, but I know I. I think you recognize it in other people, when it sounds like. Nothing they say. So it's every time they say something, it sounds like something they've rehearsed. Yeah, totally. Um, and. That. I I noticed that kind of very keenly like I, I recognize that very keenly in, in in other people um and that actually that is it one of the things they talk about in the book is this thing about you're you're obviously you're more you're able to notice things in other people in a way that you aren't maybe able to notice them within yourself yeah. you know um but i think there is this i think that is one of the big things about this kind of social media world of this kind of constant performance and and I think being really honest with yourself about well firstly are you, what what are you in and what are you out here like yeah. make the call you don't have to do you know you can you can do it whatever it is you're doing but make sure that it's a choice rather than somewhere you found yourself that you yeah. can't you know you weren't really aware of pressured into yeah um and also then if you want if you want to use social media to be a particular lens or to show a particular bit of your life or your work or whatever, again, that's all completely allowed. Um, it's just really useful to ask yourself why and just be aware of that stuff. Because um, I think for me there was a sort of, I guess, when I when I had PTSD and I got really unwell and it was kind of a year or year and a half of like factory reset and one of... A big thing was like having to untangle before you can rebuild, and that, and I think the untangling is such a daunting prospect, which is why people don't do it. Yeah, unless you're forced to do it. Totally. Unless e- everyone keeps their skeletons in the closet. Yeah. Un- oh, I until, have my shit together. I have my shit together until yeah, until the closet, the closet like, breaks. Bursts open, yeah. And then you're like, oh, fuck. Um, and like I think the, and and I remember being in therapy and the therapist saying essentially good therapy is training you to be your own therapist yeah. that's what you're doing and then but it's really easy to like let yourself drift away from that so like I and I recognize so much in in this book of like what I think Kay is amazing at is being very honest about flaws and we're all fallible yeah that's one okay. of the other themes I think you know yeah. they themselves offer total contradictions mm-hmm. you know and and they offer that vulnerability that that realizes you know that we all have we're, we're all fallible and 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 the more we can do our housekeeping yeah of keeping ourselves in check then we begin to unlearn such entrenched habits in a society that fully enforces them you know like it's very hard to go against the grain right now you know like we we realize that like i think you know everything in the world points to consumption performative you know living and like to go against that is like a daily practice. It's right? very courageous you to know? go against it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just like mad. Like, but you know, there's this other quote actually that's kind of touched on this. It's like 
We want to prove ourselves. Rather than look inwards and confront the lack there, we push outwards, adorn ourselves with trappings of the day or whatever gets us through the night. And it's so true. It's like we kind of like push on to other people and project what we feel is wrong about them and, and don't really do we look inward and really think, how well am I coping here? Or like, why am I doing that? Yep. You know, Definitely. why am I... There was this beautiful quote, I can't find it, but about... Like, next time someone comes for me, I'm going to, like, love them in all their flaws and accept that they're going through some shit, yeah, you know? exactly. There's a thing they say where they cast people as the protagonist in their own story yeah, rather exactly. than as an accessory An accessory to in yours. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's so important. But there's like, a... Remember, so in the book, they talk about this book, the Carl Jung book, the Red Book, being yeah. this kind of touchstone... Moment. Moment for yeah. them. And and I was I was thinking about like what mine would be or what texts are that for me and one of the one a massive one is this um this piece by David Foster Wallace called This Is Water, um which was originally it was a commencement speech for the graduating class of an American college. Um and it's so beautiful and it's I guess I refer back to that. when I kind of check in with myself probably more than any other text and really it's about like challenging what your default settings are right and so he says you know if we go through life not challenging our default settings then we we will you know we'll be cross with other people we'll be frustrated we'll be all of these things um it is a choice to kind of move out of that and he said you know part the problem comes because we experience the world with ourselves at the absolute centre of it. Yeah. There is not one yeah. experience we go through where we're not in the centre of that. Um so it's we're built to be to to view the world and its happenings as happening to us. So everything feels like it's you know it's, That's it's, our reference point for right. everything, isn't it? How did it affect me? Yeah. And so he kind of you, you uses this kind of analogy of kind of someone coming home from work and having to go to the supermarket and like these kind of micro annoyances that happen through the day that happen to this person so someone cuts them up while they're driving and someone steps ahead of them in the queue for the shopping and all this stuff and like basically it's like well I can choose to be annoyed that that person's just cut me up on the road but what if that person's driving their child to the hospital? Then they're not doing it to inconvenience me, exactly. right? And actually, in the world, basically nothing is done to inconvenience you. Everyone's got their own shit, right? No yeah. one's really worried about you. <laughs> but also, even if that person did cut you up, if you choose to believe they're driving their child to the hospital, your life will be better. If you choose to be compassionate yeah. and not own all that like anxiety and sort yeah. of rage and all that stuff then your life will be better yeah it's like and that is a choice all these things are choices it's a proactive choice yeah and um and so so often if i i am constantly trying to think like what what are my default settings here like what am i just falling back on mm. and where where is that leading me like am i am i putting myself in a position where i'm i'm making myself more cross you know and whether that's like holding a grudge or whether you know whatever that may be um and and so yeah and i think that this on connection has been added to that list of like absolutely well that's one of the main things isn't it like there's two quotes here that touch on that you know empathy is remembering that everybody has a story yeah immersion in other people's stories cultivates empathy that's right it's so true and i've again come to this conclusion through various things you know everyone keeps saying like you know I've been asked a lot of times to speak on you know minority groups and creative situations and identity and like how we can support people and it's empathy it all comes down to empathy you need to remember that everybody's bringing their baggage into our room and if you have that as your starting point then you're going to be able to treat people accordingly and and not fucking marginalise folk, you know? And no one's baggage is more important than anyone else's. Exactly. It's not a competition. Yeah. But, you know, we do slip up. I find myself getting 
competitive, better, jealous as much as anyone else, but I'm aware of it. And when I'm aware of it, I know how to let it go. Yep. And I, I, I like, I screen time my social media all the time because like I realize it's starting to make me, it's like, it's like drinking poison. It's like, it's yeah, making yeah. me, I can feel its effects on me. Yeah. It's Whether like- it's a bit anxious or a bit angry or a bit sad or even too stimulating where it's too exciting and it's all popping off and I think this is unhealthy because I've not looked up on this walk I've been on for an hour yeah and that's wrong yeah you know Kay is such a beautiful like primal animalistic outlook to like reset like talking about going back to like just listening to the birds or like sitting on a park bench and watching a body pass and and like looking at people's faces and like I've started to really enjoy that like I'm a total romantic when it comes to like people and their stories and I will happily just walk about for a day and look at people in the eyes absolutely and and like I don't know, like, wait, what, what's happened to that, you know? And like, I've met a few people recently that I know from social media and, like, just work, moving in similar scenes and, like, it's so different meeting people in person. Nothing will ever take away from that. Like, you have all these judgments of how someone's going to speak and act and carry themselves in a room and it's just so different every time, like, and nothing will change that energy between people and the the moment that you share and that's when that's life that's well, worth writing about one of the things that they mentioned is that they did this study in a theater audience which is oh, like there you go i've you been know talking it. about this we all know week. it we know yeah we know so like it. we know everyone's that heartbeat synchronized, synchronized yeah while watching this play and weirdly when i went to lost village i met someone who's a neuroscientist who's doing research at goldsmiths about this right measuring people's brainwaves and yeah. heart rates when they go to gigs and clubs and theater and you know that thing of like collective experience when you're all dancing literally to the same beat your heart yeah. synchronizes with the people in that room because there's nothing separating you anymore yeah there's and there is this is that's what we've empathy. missed that's yeah empathy. yeah that's it that's just a manifestation isn't it it's like your body empathizing it's really beautiful yeah that's what we've like really missed in yeah. the last few years it's yeah. and that's why other experiences that have been really really good as kind of bridges well we haven't been able to do that but they aren't the same thing mm. you know experiencing something sh- streamed is not the same no at all. no it's that um, physical connection in a space like I remember going and feeling to, the resonance. Yeah, exactly. Like feeling it in like your, in bones. your bones. Yeah, um, I went to see my friend in a play in actually in Orlando in um, Virginia Woolf's Orlando, and um, so Orlando is kind of one of the major themes is to do with kind of um, gender presentation about kind of the male and the female and. At the end, I guess there's a bit of a reveal where the protagonist kind of references once and for all where they sit. Are they a man or are they a woman? Mm. Um, And, like, I remember a sort of collective kind of response when when that line was delivered. And then there was someone down the front who went, Oh! (laughs) And I remember that still, like... I, and I could feel the whole audience had a response to it. And then this was just like a little... Um, I'll, I'll give our... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're the spokesperson for everyone's thing. And it's just, there's such there's such a beauty in that shared experience. And it's I think it's really lovely when you've got this, you know, you have science to back up what we all know. Yeah. And we all feel is completely Because we always say that, oh, it was such a collective experience. Yeah. Like it was... We were all dancing to the beat of the same drum, but no, literally. But actually, yeah. Our heartbeats were in sync. And actually, one of the other things was about the temperature contagion. Right. About when people watch footage of other people putting hands in icy water. Yeah, they get cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In temperature. That's empathy. Yeah. It's like when we wince when people get hit. Exactly. And And it reminded me. there's this amazing lecture series in London called Five by Fifteen, where there are five speakers and they speak for fifteen minutes, um, and they Catching. always have really interesting 
people coming to talk. And one of the first ones I went to see was someone talking about the um, science behind inherited trauma or kind of mm. cross-generational trauma. Um, and so they did a study with mice where they had a little, mi- a little mice couple um, who ha- lived in a little cage and the cage had like electricity on the bottom of it. Unfortunately, these studies are often quite horrible but um and um basically there'd be a wee sound that would would kind of indicate that the electricity was about to come on and then it would come on give them a lot of shock um then they moved the mice out of the fizzy cage the mice had a little family when they played the sound to the baby mice who had never heard it they tensed their bodies ready for the electricity yeah and she talked about the the kind of alteration to to people's genetic material to their DNA that takes place when trauma mm. takes place, which is why it is passed through generations not only by kind of you know sharing experience and storytelling, but, but actually within people's bodies. Yeah. Um, and it, sometimes I think it's easy to kind of resign a lot of these things as like almost like folklore. You know, but this stuff is like, is so solid and it makes, you know, complete sense. And like we were talking before about refugees and there's it there, the, this kind yeah, of the like... inherited trauma that will last for so long because of this, yeah. Yeah, and, and how how heavy that is to carry yeah. as well. Um, and actually when I was when I was like making notes on this book before we did this, I was thinking like, Kay Tempest really manages to pack a lot into 100 pages here. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of ground that gets covered yeah. here. There's a lot of stuff where it's like... I got to a point where I was like, basically every line of this I want to write down somewhere. That's what happened to me. I've got my notes here and I just kept quoting it. Yeah. Like, it, it is one of those books, like, every single... I want to wake up every morning and reread these lines, you know? Have you got any other books like that? Um... Yeah, I suppose I do. Um... I feel like, well, I have certain people that have said certain things. Like I've, I have that a lot with Alok, their work. And, and when they're interviewed, I want to kind of like write everything down that they say and recite mm. it back to myself. And then um, I've had other books that have had a, a huge impact on me, like Diary of a Drag Queen by Crystal Rasmussen was one of them, which sounds campus tits, which it is in a way, but it was mostly, again, just how raw the language is. Things that hit you and stick in your throat and... Mm really like you see yourself in there mm-hmm. and it allows you to examine yourself in a whole new way yeah I just, yeah i love when stuff touches me like that you know yeah absolutely mm. i have a couple i've there's a really beautiful journal by this sculptor called Anne Truitt, which is called daybook which um it, it kind of is a journal that she kept while she was a sort of... She was trying to raise her children and be an artist and trying to be accepted as a female artist in a very male-dominated industry. and like. But again, and I think similarly actually to Tempest, just the turn of phrase is so beautiful and the way of describing things that we all feel. And actually, the, actually in Tempest's book, they do say this, like, you... You read to access your own experience. You yeah. read to kind of recall your past and establish your own views and, you know, um, and and write. I think there's the same thing. You write to do that too. Um, and I find myself, like, going back to that book once a year or so. They, I mean, there's one thing there where they talk about having an exhibition and it's really common in art exhibitions to have a little plaque next to the work which gives you some, you know, gives you some... Bi- biographical data about it but also a little bit of you know description of it or whatever that the artist wants to provide and someone had asked her well what happens if um the person who is coming to see your exhibition can't read english or who doesn't speak english and andrew it says well i'd hope that something something rises within the viewer to meet the work yeah um which I think is a really beautiful phrase that has lived in my head ever since. And one of the things Kay Tempest talks about is this kind of 
the artist's intentions for their work you know yeah. when you finish your work it's not no longer yours and i, I love it it's like what the world the words aren't alive until they've been read until they've been spoken. read yeah exactly and it's not finished until the moment it's been picked up it's like the music's not finished until it's been heard yeah exactly and there's lib there's a lot of liberation in that and but it is quite a vulnerable position right because yeah. we all we're all really protective of the things that we create it'd be quite hard it can be quite hard to give them away but i found that that was really useful that sort of idea was really useful for me in in kind of learning what it was to be a a sort of composer of musical work and realizing that my job ended really quite early on yeah. in the process yeah and then being really happy that I as soon as some someone else goes to perform it, it's theirs and it's mm. the people that hear it. Um, it kind of I had a lesson with this trumpet player called Ralph Alessi when I went to New York um, about ten years ago, and I asked him about because he he's quite a, he's very sort of gentle and quiet and contained, and I'd asked him about sort of whether he ever experienced nerves. Um, what if did he feel like there was a difference between live performance and recording studio? Like, did he feel similarly comfortable in both settings, or you know? And he said, "Well, he said, no, I never feel nerves because all of my and all of my focus is outward. None of it's inward. None of it is me. I'm never thinking about myself. I'm thinking about what the music needs and what I'm putting out." And that's I thought that's a very healthy outlook to have. It you is, know? yeah. I think when you're a performer, there's always a real risk that you do something detrimental to the product, to the piece of art. Because you're thinking about yourself because too Because you're trying to you're jam in yourself in it. Yeah. Or you're trying to prove yourself to the people or you want to make sure you're remembered and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of take off that, take off those clothes... It's just a much more comfortable, and like you were saying before about you feeling more confident, but manifesting in a in a sort of quieter way. Mm. There, there is a there is a power when you yourself are assured. People feel that they feel assured with you right. and by you, don't right. they? There's a thing about um, I can't remember who said. Oh, maybe Michelle Obama said about this idea of high power, and so. Uh, this idea that truly powerful people don't need to tell people that they're powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and use this anecdote of going to this cocktail party, everyone's in black tie, so all the men basically look the same, look like waiters. She tapped someone on the shoulder and asked for a glass of champagne. The the person she tapped on the shoulder went to get the champagne, brought it over, and then she realised it was George Clooney. Mm. But he didn't say, no, I'm not getting any fucking champagne, I'm George Clooney. Um, and she said, she really learnt about this thing of, you you, you don't don't tell people your worth, Don't you don't have to broadcast this stuff yeah. all the time. It is in the way you live and the way you act, you know, and like there's a real lesson in sort of humility there about not having to, not having to convince anybody of anything. Yeah, it's like taking me a long time to give the correct amount of shits about what other people, mm. other people's stuff, and what other people expect of me or think of me, or all that stuff. And it's a pendulum swing, and like there is a, I think no shits. That's probably too few. Yeah, you're probably maybe going to do things that are harmful to other people. Yeah, but because you need to engage in the world and and operate. That's and, right. And you have to connect with people, and you have yeah. to. There has to be something. Totally. All the shit's far too many. That's like giving yourself far too much work. And there is a point, and I do think it is just as you get older, you learn to, it's a process of learning to love yourself and not need that sort of external validation all Yeah, the time, it's validation know? really, isn't it? Like yeah. seeking, where do you seek validation from? And I think ultimately if you can go to bed every night, well, not every night because that's, you know, silly, but if you go to bed on some nights happy with who you are yeah how you've represented yourself and in some way if you're happy with your output into the world whether that's creative or not oh my god you've won you've won oh my god you've won 
because I don't I don't go to bed every night like that. But the on the nights that I have, I sleep pretty fucking well, and it's a beautiful thing to 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 get to be so in touch with myself that you're able to experience that rather than have it from somewhere else. Mm. And that doesn't mean because people can shower you with telling you how amazing you are, but if you don't feel it, it doesn't matter. No. It really doesn't. But if you're sure of what you're doing and what you're contributing, like you're unstoppable, really. Definitely, yeah. Somewhat, there's a really useful bit of advice that has always lived in my head since I heard it, which was that you should treat yourself like a tiny baby to be looked after. Mm. And so the way you the way you treat yourself shouldn't be anything you wouldn't do to like a, yeah. a little thing that needs support and love. And you wouldn't like shout at a baby for not being able to do something. Yeah. We're so hard on ourselves. And that is like part of this capitalist model, I think, of success where it's built into you to be very hard on yourself this kind of self-hatred thing as a kind of motivator for improvement is like completely fucked right and and it's really easy to just have people that are beautiful compassionate gorgeous people outward and then when they turn inward they're oh so hard awful themselves, yeah, yeah yeah um and it goes back to what you said earlier where it's like it's that's why people run away from looking at themselves. I think it's why people avoid places where there's silence. Yeah. I think. Um, totally. People avoid solitude altogether, really. Like, one of my biggest changes that I've found in my, like, day-to-day life is the amount of time I'm able to spend on my own. Mm. I used to have... Like, I was never on my own. I always right. had someone by my side. I'd, like... Oh, like I was always surrounded by big groups of people or at least like one like sometimes I'd spend the whole day with someone mm. and they'd stay around and I was constantly with other people I think because I needed that validation like from knowing that I could provide for other people and provide fun and like care and food and like banter and just be there for someone else all the time but it's such a giving quality that it you know, doesn't allow any input for yourself, and yeah. it was really at the expense of myself. And but I wouldn't have been able to be on my own because I probably wasn't fully happy with who I was. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and if I was on my own, I'd have to confront that. So I totally avoided it. And now, fucking love being by myself. Oh, it's so great. And it's not always easy. Like I still have problems where I, 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 because I'm by myself, I worry about a lot of internal things that are going mm-hmm. on. But I'm able to give them the time that they need. Yeah. Now. There's a th- another thing that's, yeah, Kay Tempest says, it's easy to think that loving someone means giving them everything you possibly can and ignoring your desires to better implement theirs. You, leaving nothing for yourself in the hope that they do the same for you. Mm. I think that's that was like, yeah, yep. I want to put that in my eyes every single day. Make a fridge magnet. Yeah, because I definitely, that's sort of my current existential project is about not giving everything away. Mm. There's a on the on David Bowie's final album there's a track called I Can't Give I Can't Give Um Everything Away and Yeah. I never really got it. I never got that and I've uh, someone told I've I've seen it in other places. Joan Didion talks about it and it talks about being a lecturer and being told you're giving too much to your students. You have to keep something back for yourself, and and then the, and I can kind of yeah intellectually I get it, but I never really felt it. And I th- I think sort of similar to you, kind of derive a lot of joy from giving to other people. And but then that you got to be careful because I've definitely reached a point recently where I felt like I've given everything away, and it's actually very difficult to get that back. Yeah. A lot easier to preempt it by mm-hmm. having boundaries, boundaries that stop you doing it. Yeah, um, and also it really chimes with the whole thing, like of the Carl Jung thing, where basically Carl Jung was a mad guy who drove himself mad trying to search, trying to find himself through a series of like psychiatric experiments, and wrote this book, The Red Book, and Kate 
quotes a lot of it because it, it basically says that a person is governed by two spirits, the mm. spirits of the times and the spirits of the depths. And yeah. the spirit of the times is how you navigate day-to-day life. Essentially, your your goals, your achievements, your, your driving ambitions for the day. And the spirits of the depths is the kind of ancient more kind of primitive animalistic part of yourself your your soul really your dreams and your, your madness dreams, yeah. yeah and yeah your dreams and your madness how beautiful is that and essentially my own conclusion is that you need both in order to survive you you tilt too far into either and you go fucking ski with yeah like anything it's balance but to be purely in the spirit of the times is maybe what we're saying it's like giving all the time showing up to the party and just being really smiley and fine and actually you're just not present at all yeah and to be by yourself allows you to connect with your spirit of you of the depths really. yeah for sure what yeah. is what are my desires what is my madness what is my soul saying yep and but if you're in that all the time you're you're not gonna have much fun are you no. so it's like it's it's both and and yeah i think that really chimes with what you were saying you know it's like setting boundaries so that you can operate yeah as a healthy yeah, for sure. Because it's because once you've given it all away, it's very hard to ask for it back and try and re- rebuild it. Yeah. Um. But the other thing that really, the the other thing, one of the eight million things from this book, yeah. is that this talking about us being fixated on what we can get rather than what we can give. So, yeah. uh, this sort of unintentional fixation is what they call it, and talking about the sort of transactional relationships and I think that it's something I've really struggled with I think it's well it's probably rife in all areas of life but I think that the freelance thing lends itself to being trapped in this transactional mode yeah um what can I get from this yeah situation and I and like I think you know, I program a venue so I am going to get people being in touch with me because they want something from me I was um, going to say, like, Kim, you are someone that must have such a vivid experience of this because you're someone that holds a lot of power in the spaces in which you operate. And it, I have no doubt that people, without even knowing it, recognise what they can gain from you before they see you. Definitely. As a human being. It's why I would, like, not desire. enjoy going out to gigs. Right. It's just like, people are going to come and see me. And see when you ask me how I am, I know you're just That's doing that only so a gateway that you can. To the second ask question, me yeah, for yeah, the yeah. Or, or like I remember it happening once, and this was maybe the, the sort of turning point for me when I realised I had to do something to, kind of protect myself from it. Where I was doing a gig, and I actually was doing two gigs in one night, and I came off stage, and I was getting ready to go to another gig, and as I was putting my trumpet away, someone came over to ask about an email that they'd sent. Have you seen that email? Oh, my God. And I was like, right. Behave yourself. Like, and it's, I know that it was like, right, well, I need to, I need to protect myself from this happening um, because this is no, no, thank you. No, everyone's. But I think we all just get trapped in that without, like. I don't think most people are even aware of it. No, nope, that's how they're I behaving. I don't think so either. Because um, there's almost like an acceptable etiquette. Uh, yes. Of, oh, if you just slide in and go, how are you? Oh, and then ask for what and you now want, I'm gonna then do it's the okay. Yeah, and it's like, it's but, but it's, it doesn't offer any depth to a relationship. No, like, it doesn't. And it's what Kay Tempest says about you remembering uh, that everyone has a whole life, yeah, a whole story. Has their own shit going on. And like, but also they're so honest about like that is how they lived their life mm. for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, like, What can I get from this? And like, I didn't, you know, they turn up to gigs, not even listen to the other acts. They were like, "I'm the shit. I'm the best in the room." Like, mm-hmm. but now they offer such reflection on how flawed that is, and it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it is. It's a big one. It's. It's not an. It's it's an ugly quality in people, and it's because something... it's veiled in niceties. In pleasantries, sometimes you know, right, that makes it even more ugly, which is I like think. a. It's just yeah, it's a bit a little bit insidious, and actually, we, with a little bit of effort, we can just all avoid it, right? I think you can completely acknowledge that there is a transactional element to some relationships, the professional relationships you have. That's fine, 
that doesn't define the entire relationship, but also that isn't twenty four seven. Like you to be aware of someone else and think, is this an appropriate time? Is this an appropriate way to do it? Is this you know, it it's a uh, something that I had. It took me a while to get my head around because it's very easy to think if I didn't have gig to give you, yeah, you wouldn't be yeah having a chat with me. I need to make sure I'm okay with that because if I'm not, then I could fall off a cliff here, you yeah. know. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's the same, I guess, in any, same as being a performer, I think being asked to do stuff, right? Is When you learn that it's not a good idea to say yes to everything you're asked to do, but it's a really powerful tool for validation to be asked to do something. Yeah. So you're like, oh, I would like more of that, please. And I'd like to say yes to all this stuff. It puts you in a really tricky situation. And then how much of that is at the expense of yourself? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that everyone should definitely go and get this book. Oh, absolutely. Buy it. I almost like, I've written down the last line here, but I don't even know if I want to, I want to encourage you to all just go and read it, you know? It's such right. a, and actually it's a book that you could just open at any page and just yeah, dip into exactly. Like, and just, it doesn't matter what you do, where you're at in your life, it it really doesn't matter. I, anyone can really take something from it, and I've I've never actually felt so universally strong about absolutely a book. And also the language, you know, K Tempest is not a snob, is not a, a it's no frills. It's 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 it is what it is. It's plain language. It's it's just here it is. Yep. Boom. Yep. Black and white words on a page they will mean what they mean to you and you'll have a unique relationship with this book and it's beautiful. You can have it in your pocket and just take it everywhere with I you. I had it in this very jacket pocket. See? And it fits perfect. Well done, Kate Tempest. Well done. We love you. Yeah. Um, all right then. Bye. Bye.